Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Well, good morning, River's Edge. What kind of a crowd do I have this morning? Whoa, you're putting my crowd back home to shame. I appreciate that. That's, uh, that, that helps me know what I'm working with today. Well, I appreciate, I, I really appreciate being invited to share with you today. I uh, really appreciate getting to know Matt and some of your team here over the last couple of years at Regions Beyond Events. Uh, if I have met you before, I've already screwed up several names this morning. Uh, just apologize for that. I'm not the greatest, but I bring you greetings from Mount Helena Community Church in Helena, Montana, who are gathered right now, uh, worshiping together, and uh, they're very excited that we get to be here with you today. They were praying for you this morning, and uh, very excited to be here, and they're glad that we're here as well. And I think they're probably having a party since we're not there today to keep things in order. But we're really glad to be here. My family is with me. My, my daughters, Joel and Grace, and my son, Johnny, is here. And then my beautiful wife, Janny, is here. And uh, really glad that they got to join me on this trip. And when Janny met Janny, uh, Tracy's wife, Janny, they celebrated that there were two people in the world named Janny, and they've been causing trouble together ever since. If you want to get ahead of me a little bit, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, look at all you compliant people pulling out your Bibles and t- turning to it. I really appreciate that. Uh, I will rub it in a little bit when I get back home to my own crew. I say, when I go to Spokane, they bring their Bibles to church. And how appropriate today, since we're going to talk about the Scripture. Matt has brought me up to speed a little bit on what you guys have been discussing about Jesus and spiritual dis- disciplines and um, how to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, how to do what, Je- what would Jesus do if he were in your shoes, those kind of things. That, uh, I think that's really helpful for us. I think, you know, when Jesus came to the earth, we know that he was fully God and he was fully man, and it's a mystery to us. And those teachings on the Trinity, the idea that, that Jesus was not just a man, but he was God, and he wasn't just God, but he was man, it can like cause your mind to implode a little bit when you think about those things. But it's really important to consider the humanity of Jesus Christ and, and how he's an example to us as humans about how to live. And today I get the privilege of talking to you about the discipline of reading Scripture, knowing the Scripture, being familiar with the Scripture, and how do we see that happening in Jesus' life. Maybe you grew up in a church where they read your Bibles, you know, that kind of preaching. And like, where did that come from? Why is that a big deal? Do I need to know my Bible? I mean, Jared's going to talk about it on Sunday, or Matt will preach about it next week. Why do I need to know what the Scripture has to say? And uh, I think it's very important and valuable for every single one of us as individuals to read our Bible and to become familiar with the Scripture, to develop that discipline of reading it and absorbing it. Thank you, Grace. I appreciate it. You know me, don't you? You know I'll need this. By the way, if you are a guest this morning and, um, and I just drive you crazy, be sure and come back next week because I am not the regular speaker here. So if I really screw it up, in fact, this morning my wife said, uh, you aren't going to really nerd out today, are you? 
And I was like, what do you mean? I never nerd out. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So I'll try not to nerd out too bad on you, on you today. I tend to really get intrigued with information and things like that. So hopefully I don't drag us down a dark hole somewhere that we can't dig ourselves out of. I think it's very evident in the Scripture as we read it, and we're going to look at some passages today, that Jesus himself was thoroughly acquainted with the Scripture. He knew the Scripture, which is an interesting thought considering he probably had something to do with authoring it too. If it's the Word of God, surely we can say, well, it's just Jesus. Of course he should know the Word. He wrote it, right? He, if he was God, he would know what it says. But I think in his grace for us, he demonstrates what it's like to be human. And in his humanity, he knew the Scripture, and he wielded the Scripture very well. So I want to look at some of those passages. Uh, when we, uh, our main text will be Luke chapter 4, uh, but I want to just spend a little bit of time right before I dive, in, dive into that, looking at some other instances in Jesus' life. In Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 46 through 52, uh, it's a story of Jesus. They had, uh, they, the family had went to, to Jerusalem for Passover, and they're leaving uh, town and they can't find Jesus. And I don't know if sometimes we, we just blow over these scriptures and we don't really think about what they're actually saying. But it says here, Jesus and or Mary and Joseph are looking for Jesus. And it says, after three days, they found him in the temple. Now just stop and think about that for a second. If you lost your child for three days, would that not be a little concerning? You have to sometimes stop and consider these one short po- half of a sentence going on right here and consider what were the circumstances wow they'd been looking for their son for three days he'd been missing they found him sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers and when his parents saw him they were astonished now we don't know exactly word for word what they were discussing there in the temple for those days but you know they were experts on the law and jesus was they're interacting with them, we start to see that even as a child, there was this, he knew about the law and about the Jewish customs and those kind of things, and he's interested with uh, visiting with the teachers of the law about those things. So we know that early on, we don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood, very little, in fact. I wish we knew more. It would be very interesting as part of his humanity and his development. How did he learn the Scripture? Where did he learn it? We don't know the answers to that. We can draw some ideas on that. Uh, based on Jewish tradition and how they train their children and those kind of things. Maybe there's some answers there. But the Scripture is pretty quiet about where did Jesus learn the Scripture. We don't know for sure, but we know that he knew it, and he knew it very well. We know at the end of his life on earth, while he was on the cross, again, one of these circumstances where we're just reading a simple, well-known, old Bible story, and yet we kind of have to put ourselves in that situation. When Jesus was on the cross and he was hanging there, it was a six-hour had come, And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross in one of the most painful situations a human being could find themselves, and he cries out scripture. What is he referring to? When he says that, this is a Greek, it's an alliteration. He had taken the Aramaic language and turned it into Greek and he was alliterating and, and they were wondering what he, what he was talking about. But he was referring back to Psalm 22. What was Jesus doing on the cross as he was about to die? Quoting the scripture. Jesus was familiar with the scripture. In his dire circumstance, he was crying out in the scripture, with the scripture. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? When I was a kid and I read this, I didn't understand it very well. I found it interesting that that Jesus would uh, believe that God had actually completely forsaken him when it doesn't necessarily seem like that was the case. But we know that Jesus was taking on the sins of the world and he was suffering in that moment. And, And if we go back and we look at the psalm that Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, it goes on and we see a lot of fulfillment of Jesus' life in that psalm. He's, he's pointing to that psalm even while he's hanging on the cross. There's, there's prophecy about his crucifixion. There's prophecy about the piercing of his hands and those kind of things, the casting lots for his clothing like they did at the cross. I guess I have the passages up here on the screen. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. What a painful situation. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So we see that, you know, hundreds of years before, about a thousand years before in the Psalms, we see that there's prophecies of what Jesus' suffering would be like, that he would be nailed to the cross. Jesus was familiar with the Psalm. And even as he hung on the cross, Fulfilling it, he quoted the scripture. Can you imagine if you were hanging on the cross, would you be in a situation where you could quote scripture? And why was Jesus motivated to do that? It was such a powerful thing for him to say. The scripture was important and powerful to Jesus. Just on a side note, this is uh, when I was in about the sixth or seventh grade, I. Uh, harassed this Sunday school teacher quite a bit. There was a man, he was a pastor, and I grew up in a community of about 300 people, and we were at least 10 miles from the nearest community. So it wasn't like a suburb or anything. We were just out in a rural area. And there was this young man that would come on Thursdays after school, and he would have a Bible school thing after, after our elementary school on Thursdays. And I gave him a pretty hard time most of the time. And one time I asked him the question that if I were walking along a cliff, and I tripped and cussed and fell over the cliff and died, would I go to hell? So I had these deep theological thoughts when I was a kid, right? Mostly I did it to be an antagonist, but in that moment, and and he challenged me with this, he said, why would your impulse be to cuss if you were about to die? Like, well, you don't know me very well, I guess, but... Well, when Jesus was about to die, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He, rely, he leaned on the Scripture for some reason. We don't know completely why, but he drew our attention to the fulfillment of the Psalm 22 when he's standing up there, or I'm sorry, nailed, up there on the cross, nailed there, suffering and about to die. He found it valuable to do so for some reason. And we benefit from that today. So there's a couple of short examples. There's other ones. There was one that crossed my mind earlier. Uh, when Later in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is... You know, he's, he has them bring the scroll from Isaiah, and he finds a passage in Isaiah, and he reads it, and then he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, you know, this is one of those passages we would just read right through and not think anything of, but if you had a scroll of Isaiah back in those days, and you were looking for a particular passage, which may not be numbered and chaptered and verse like that nice bound Bible or that electronic search you have today on your Bible, you had a scroll that was who knows how many feet long. Uh, they, would, they would tie sheepskins together and they would write on the scrolls and then they'd roll them up. And, and so to find a particular passage, you had to know where it was. 
You didn't get to cheat with your Google or your little app on your phone to find the Scripture. You had to know. And Jesus knew where that was. One of those little things we don't think about necessarily. But he opens up that scroll of Isaiah and he finds the passage he wants to read. So just, you know, it doesn't say much about what the actual circumstances were there and how he found it. But I think it's just interesting for us to consider that if I were holding a scroll of Isaiah today and I was looking for that particular passage... I would have to unroll and unroll and unroll and unroll and find where that was. Jesus knew the scriptures. Just a little nugget there for you to think about in case you don't have anything better to think about how long a scroll of Isaiah might be. Pretty long. What I really want to focus on is Luke chapter 4 in one of the most uh, fascinating stories, I think, in the scripture where Jesus is dealing with his enemy. He's dealing with Satan and he's just been baptized and uh, he, he, the Spirit comes upon him, and the, the book of Luke gives the genealogy of Jesus and is talking about those kind of things. And then it goes on in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And I will read you the whole story. I just have the reference up here on the screen for you. It says, And Jesus, chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Wow, we could probably stop and unpack that for a little while. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit, goes into the wilderness for a time of temptation by Satan. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of uh, God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil comes and tempts him. He's hungry 40 days without eating. I don't know about you, but I would be pretty hungry as well. And I might be tempted to turn some rocks into bread or at least pretend even I'd be so hungry. But Jesus says, no, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him Here's another little interesting thing to stop and ponder. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That's kind of interesting. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. That's fascinating things that Satan has to say there. I, certainly he's not trustworthy, so we don't know how much of that is actually true or what he was able to do, but he's tempting Jesus with this, and Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. As if that's not enough, Satan uh, a third time tempts him. If you read some of the other Gospels, there's a little bit different order to how these temptations took place. But the third temptation that takes place, according to Luke, is uh, starts in verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Ah, now Satan's getting tricky, isn't he? He goes to the Scripture itself. And he says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until 
an opportune time. Well, this is quite fascinating. Jesus is dealing with Satan. He's being tempted in very human ways. And in every instance, we see that Jesus relies on the Scripture to deal with Satan himself. And all of a sudden, we, hopefully we have a little bell going off in our minds. When we're dealing with temptation, when we're dealing with whatever life throws our way, what is our immediate response? Is it to go to God for the truth? Is it to go to the Scripture and see what has God said about these, this situation? Or how, what can I find in the Scripture to comfort or strengthen or encourage me as I'm dealing with these issues in my life? Because Jesus himself, now consider this for just a second. If Jesus is God... Couldn't he just in his godliness do something about Satan? I mean, if he's the powerful creator of the universe, the son of God, why does he have to refer back to some ancient writings if it's just a book? And if it's just words of days gone by, why doesn't Jesus just use his own? I mean, he is God. Why couldn't he just rebuke Satan himself in his own authority? And yet he chose not to. What did Jesus choose to do? He submitted himself as a man in his humanity to the word of God. Jesus considered the word of God authoritative, even though it was his own word. It's just an interesting thing to think about, that of all the things Jesus could have done to deal with his enemy, but I think in order to demonstrate for you and I how to deal with the difficulties that we face in life, he demonstrates, go to the word. What has God said? What is true? What is true? Jesus was very familiar with the Scriptures, and he wielded them in a very effective way. We could look at story after story where he's dealing with the Pharisees, you know, the religious leaders of his time, where he's having these conflicts. How does he interact with them? How does he answer them? How does he challenge them? Often, it is written. It must be fulfilled, those kind of things. Just for the fun of it, uh, when I was working on this message, I looked up, you know, just brief search in Luke. This is not exhausted by any stretch, but I found very quickly about a dozen instances where Jesus is referring to the Scripture in order to deal with the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the challenges they were bringing to him and in his teaching of the disciples. He regarded the Scripture as authoritative, and he knew it, and he wielded it well. And I think you and I can then begin to draw an understanding that if that is what Jesus did to demonstrate part of what it means to be human and to serve God and to honor God, perhaps you and I should be considering, are we disciplining ourselves? Are we taking the time to learn the Scripture and know it and use it in the appropriate times? When, it, when we're challenged in life and things are going on, do, is our first impulse towards the Scripture? If I trip and fall off a cliff, is my first impulse going to be, God help me, referring to the Scripture. I think it's very important that as we consider, why should I study the Scripture? Why should I know what it says? Why should I learn it? I have lots of reasons why not. We'll talk about those in a couple of minutes. But I think it's, first of all, important to realize how authoritative the Word of God really is. If Jesus himself relied on it as an authority in his own life, shouldn't we then also consider that it should be an authority in our lives. And we're in a time and a place where that is very, very challenged. Uh, is the Scripture really that important for our lives? Is it really reliable and trustworthy? Is it really that authoritative? It was so long ago that this stuff came together. How could it possibly be accurate today? And we don't have time to unpack all of those things. There's a lot of great information out there for you to study and look at about the, the trustworthiness of Scripture and those kind of things. Uh, but I, I think it's really important that we take the time to consider this isn't just a story. 
It is, if in it being the Word of God, it carries power with it. Matt, in our prayer this morning before service, they, they pray back here for the service, and he was encouraged about on his way to the service this morning about that, the, you know, that there would be faith, that our faith would be stirred. We would, well, we know that the Word of God says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Jesus Christ or the, the Gospel, that, that there's something in the Word of God that is so powerful that when we hear it, it activates something inside of us. Faith comes alive. When the gospel came to us, that good news, hope, ignited in our hearts. Faith came alive. And that, yet, if you stop and consider that, it's when that truth came. We also know this. I don't have the reference, but, you know, the truth will set you free. There's this idea that when we hear something that is true, something inside of us lays hold of that and goes, yes. And so when we read the words of Scripture or we hear the word of God or we hear the gospel, something inside of us comes alive. Our faith gets activated. Our faith gets bolstered when you're reading the Word, when you're studying it, when you're examining what it says, when you're applying it in your life, and you're putting it into action in whatever circumstances you find yourself. What is the Word of God? It's authoritative. It's powerful. It it enacts something and engages us in a powerful way. And so even when you're reading it, and even those, oh man, you want some of you are crazy and get up at like five in the morning and do stuff like that. Not me, but... uh, we get up and we're like, how are you supposed to comprehend anything at five in the morning when reading your scripture? I can't possibly do that. But, but the reality is, if you are and uh, you should be ingesting that scripture because even sometimes when you don't realize it, that truth I think has an effect on you. Even if your intellect isn't always engaged and you're half asleep and you're reading through the Bible, I still think because it's the Word of God, it does something for you. How did God create the world? How did how did He create? How did creation come to be? He pulled out his trowel and some cement, right? And he kind of set up a little workstation and he carved it, right? No, no. What does the scripture teach us? He spoke it. What does God's word do? Is creative power coming from God. And all he has to do is speak it and life happens. And so when we, when we read the scripture in these accounts and we regard them as God's word, they have that kind of impetus behind them, that kind of power. And it activates us, and it leads us in truth. And I'm making it sound like it's just that simple. Well, it isn't always simple. We know it can be a challenge. Jesus, while he was still in the flesh, he regarded God's word as authoritative. He used it to direct his response. Jesus decided how to respond to Satan in the story of temptation according to the Scripture. Do we do the same? Do we choose to respond according to the Scripture? Do we examine it and think, how should I respond in this circumstance, what does the scripture say? Think about this. Back in the back in the day, you know, there was this value about taking a man at his word. Right? Well, what does that have to do with this? Well, you know, on a handshake, it, my word is good. We use word, we say things like that. My word is good. My word is my bond. Take someone at their word. In our legalistic society, you have to have a contract now with lots of language in it because just saying it isn't enough anymore. But If I say something to you, my words should represent who I am accurately. But I'm an infallible man, and so sometimes I don't get it right, and words come out that maybe don't reflect me very well, or I go back on my word, or those kind of things, but not God. His words accurately reflect who he is. They reflect his character and his nature in a perfect way. He is good for his word. So when he speaks something the way I think about it, I've wrestled with ways to describe this, but it's not as if God just spoke something to someone once upon a time and it meant something. When God speaks, it's like it, 
it reverberates through time and space in power. It's, it's not just a momentary thing. It's a, it's a very powerful thing that God would breathe out and things would happen. And so even his words of speaking creation into existence echo even today in the creation. That's how powerful God's word is. Something that maybe you and I should be familiar with and discipline ourselves to read. And you know what? Apparently Satan regards God's word as authoritative as well. It's another thing to consider in this exchange between Jesus and his adversary is that in the end, Satan had to leave Jesus. Their their debate really was over the scripture and Satan had to respond to Jesus because he used the word effectively in that way. So even Satan himself had to eventually back off because Jesus was well-versed in the Scripture, what God had said and what was true. He wielded the truth. That also should remind us of a story back in Genesis chapter 3 because this has been the same story. I don't think that the book of Genesis or the story of creation uh, is there by accident or that it's just a nice little story about naked people that uh, screwed things up for the rest of us, but that there's actually lots of implications about what took place in the Garden of Eden when, uh, when Satan tempts Eve, the whole demise of mankind, the entry of sin, this whole situation and predicament that we find ourselves in today began with these words. Did God actually say? If you were tempted today, if you had been in Eve's shoes in that very moment and you knew what God had said, and she did, and we do, and we're like, oh yeah, I know my Bible and I know what God said, and it says God loves me and that's great. But in a moment of pressure and a moment of temptation and this whole thing, and it's been happening ever since then in mankind, did God really say he loves you? Did God really say he would empower you? Did God really say he would lead you, and on and on, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever your circumstances are, whatever your situation, we're always challenged with that. Did God really say, is that true for me today, these thousands of years later? Oh, how could that really apply to my life? And that, that's that other voice going, did God actually say? Well, how do we combat that? How do we deal with the, that voice in our lives that brings that doubt and brings that challenge? Maybe we look at Jesus as our example, and he gave us the way. He was familiar with the Scripture, and he wielded it in that way to deal with his circumstances. Did God really say the thing that has set mankind on such a journey as you and I today even deal with? Uh, Just briefly, I, I want to also mention that not only did Jesus regard the Scripture as authoritative, which, by the way, the Scripture in Jesus' day was what you would have as an Old Testament today. We didn't have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John yet. We didn't have all those letters from Paul. Those days hadn't come yet. And, and it does bring up issues of, okay, if the Word of God is something I should be disciplining myself to read and memorize and learn, that I can use it in the circumstances of my life, what, is there any question in my mind that the books that I have in the Bible are, the, are right or accurate and all of those kind of things? And again, there's a lot of challenges to that, particularly in our society and in our situation in the United States towards, against that kind of thinking about the Scripture. But again, we don't have time to unpack that. I mean, I, I got hours and hours of material here, but Matt said I could only talk for two and a half hours today, so I, I'm not going to get to it all. But there is lots of good information out there that can help us with those things, so it's important for us to wrestle with, 
you know, and, and be assured of, we believe the Word of God is God's Word, that the Bible is God's Word, and that it's meant for us today, and that it's relevant today. Uh, they, the Scripture is quoted as authoritative. Somewhere, the New Testament authors, somewhere around 300 times, about 295 times, they quote the Old Testament as authoritative in some way, shape, or form. You've got, um, there's a number of different circumstances that give us the indication that uh, the New Testament authors regarded all of this is the Word of God. And even in the New Testament, there's a couple of different times that both uh, Paul and Peter refer to uh, their writings as Scripture also, right in line with those New Testament writings. So the Scripture was an important issue to them, and it should be an important issue to us today because they regard it as authoritative. Just by the way, we recently were doing a study on the Apocrypha. If you know what that is, it's a bunch of books that aren't necessarily included in our canon of Scripture, but some groups do include them, and, and so we wonder why why was that not included in our canon? And one of the reasons is that it was none of them were ever quoted as authoritative by any of the New Testament authors at any time. And so even though they were books of the church early on, they weren't necessarily regarded as authoritative all the time by everybody. And this was one of the major reasons why they weren't quoted as Scripture in, by the New Testament authors. Anyway, a whole other subject there. Talk about another day, I guess. Okay, so what causes you hesitation when becoming familiar with the Word of God? What causes you reservation? I, I've, I haven't gotten to hear the messages that Matt's been sharing with you guys, but I, I do get the impression that you know, there's, there's this issue of time. What stops me from being disciplined? Well, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today. <laughs> All right, you're awake still. That's good. It's kind of like budgeting. You, you, when you decide what your priorities are, you budget your time. You know, the Scripture teaches us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke chapter 12, right? And so we often think of that in terms of money, and that is literally what it's talking about. But any of our resources, we put our resources into what we care about. And when we decide to prioritize the reading and the learning of Scripture, we need to budget the time to do it. And if it is 5 in the morning that you have to get up and do it, then do it. I'm joking about the early morning thing because my wife knows very well I'm not a very good morning person. And Jesus knows that too, so hopefully he has a lot of grace for me. But if you're a morning person, yeah, take that time. Budget that time in. Because it is so, so valuable. You don't know what kind of circumstances you'll find yourself in and and calling out to God and remembering, what does the Scripture say? Can I be assured that God loves me? Can I be assured that God cares? Can I be assured that God has saved me and rescued me from my sin? Can I be assured that God will break strongholds in my life? Can I be assured that God will help me on my journey, even though it doesn't always happen the way I think it should happen? Do I have a reason to believe that's true? And I read that word in the Scripture, and it, it, it causes faith to come alive. It activates that faith. It's, it's not just reading English words. You're reading something that reverberates throughout human history. And it activates something inside of us in order to deal with our situation. I do want to caution us here just for a second. Uh, we don't want to be legalistic about the Bible and reading the Bible. Because that leads us to be superstitious. Do you know what superstition is? One of the definitions of superstition is um, a false... Uh, False understanding of causation, basically. The idea that you would have a false idea of what caused something. So what's, a, what's one of the cheesy superstitions? Like walk under a ladder. There's no ladders up here. But oh, don't walk under a ladder. It's bad luck. It'll cause bad luck. Like somehow the walking under a ladder will cause something bad to happen in my life. Well, if I didn't wake up at 5 in the morning and read my Bible, 
God must have cursed me today, right? There's a superstition that can work into our lives over these kind of things. And we have to be careful when we're trying to discipline ourselves that we don't work ourselves into a superstitious mindset. And that, that can be, hopefully you follow me a little bit there, but that, that can be a challenge to do. But we don't, we don't want to go that way when we're talking about disciplining ourselves to read the Scripture. We do it because it gives life. Not because we're superstitious and afraid of things, but because the Word of God gives life to us. It causes us to live that life abundantly. It gives us the tools to do that and the understanding and all those kinds of things. Understanding. That's the one thing I want to focus in on here lastly today. Uh, probably the number one complaint I get about people not wanting to read their Bible, and usually it comes out in these words, it's boring. But really the next sentence is, I don't get it. I don't understand. Can I understand? Is it possible? And then I ask them, where did you open your Bible at? Well, I just decided to read Leviticus for fun. Like, well, no wonder you don't understand. Like, there are a lot of people in here that can help you and guide you. We should... This, you know, the kingdom of God takes place in community. It's in the context of community. It's not individuals, it's family. And so when we're learning the Bible and we're trying to discipline ourselves to understand the Scripture, we have everyone around us to help us. That's not meant to be a completely independent endeavor all the time. And so if I'm reading through Leviticus and I don't understand why I can't eat bacon anymore, I'm going to call Matt and I'm going to say, Matt, what is the deal with the Scripture that I should not eat pork? What did that have to do with? And Matt... Can, Matt knows the bigger picture. He's smarter than I am. And so he can explain to me, well, that was part of the, the Jewish laws that came through Moses and et cetera, et cetera. So when I don't understand something, I have community around to help me understand and help me grow. But there are lots of other things we can do to, uh, to help ourselves understand. I'm not, I'm not saying that the Bible is just reads like the cat in the hat. It's not quite that easy. But it, 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 it does have complex things inside of it that develop over time. But just, just start with the basics. You know, and start to understand some basic things. Today, I have a handout for you guys today. Uh, you can pick one up. You don't have to take one if you want to. But it, it is, maybe will help you a little bit in your Bible reading. It was something we used a couple weeks ago in our own church about interpreting the Bible. How do I read it in order to understand it? What, what kind of things do I apply in order to understand and take meaning out of the Scripture? Because at times it can be very difficult. You don't have to be Jesus to comprehend it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You didn't have to go to seminary those kind of things. These were written for common people in their day. And so, yes, there is some cultural things sometimes we miss. But it was written and it was distributed among the common people. The letters in the New Testament were to be read in all the churches. This wasn't uh, uh, so, so unknown that people couldn't comprehend it. And so we can as well. We can grow in wisdom just like Jesus did. At the end of that story, we looked at the story earlier about Jesus in the temple and his mom finding and dad finding him there. And at the end of that story, it says, And Jesus grew in stature and wisdom with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom. Wait, God grew in wisdom? How did that work? Again, it's an appeal to the humanity of Jesus Christ and demonstrating what it was like to be human. He grew in wisdom. How do we grow in wisdom? I want to look at a scripture in Timothy. I must have left, skipped that a long time ago, Hannah. I'm sorry if you would bring up 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And how from childhood, this is Paul writing to Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings. And then Paul says, which are able to make you wise. How do I grow in wisdom? Help me be wise, God. Help me be like Jesus who grew in wisdom. How did he do that? 
from the sacred writings. That's where Timothy was getting it and Paul's instructing us, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Oh, man, we could unpack this for a few days too. But Scripture is breathed out from God. It's the Word of God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Maybe what? Complete. How do I get to that completeness? The Word of God. The Word of God. What God has given me to absorb, equipped for every good work. We want to be digesting that Word of God that we could grow and become wise. We have unprecedented, unprecedented access today. It is just, there were centuries where people didn't have access to a Bible. All they had is what they could hear from the pulpit, if they even had that. We have unprecedented access to the Word of God. How much power is at our disposal and we don't even realize it sometimes? If it's what Jesus relied on to deal with Satan himself, surely you and I can rely on it to navigate the circumstances and the difficulties we find ourselves in, in life. Again, not to say that that's easy, but God is so gracious and he's given it to us for our use. Uh, just, I guess I'll mention real quickly with, with this handout and its interpretation, there's a few things in there, just guidelines, questions to ask yourself about where in history did this take place to help me understand what I'm reading today. If I open up to Leviticus, do I know where that is on the timeline? And you don't have, again, you don't have to be a scholar and know everything on the timeline. There's, there's just a very uh, simple timeline in there to ask yourself, where did this take place in time? What was going on in these circumstances? Invite God into your process. Let the Spirit of God be what leads you as you read the Scripture. They're His words. They're spiritual words. He gave you His Spirit to use. When you're reading the Scripture, invite God into your process. I'll wrap up with this because I think it really is very important. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. Love this passage. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What great imagery. If you just stop and ponder that, just like the rain coming down from the heaven and the plants that it produces and the crops and the benefit we have because of what God has brought onto the earth, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God has done something very deliberately with his word very deliberately. And if you read the story of the Ten Commandments, it says that God wrote it with his finger. That the first collection of writing that was taking place of the Scripture in that Ten Commandments story was God himself giving his word to his people and has developed through the ages. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to turn it over to Matt.